this week I want to wrap up our series in prayer. And we said in the very, very first week, guys, that prayer is communication with God. And communication is going to define the depth of any relationship. If my spouse and I never talked, we would have a really bad relationship. She would be upset with me all the time, right? If I only told my kids, like, what they need to do, like, well, don't put your clothes up, put your stuff up, do this, do that, all the time, just always drilling them what they need to do. And I never, like, spent the time to, like, pour into them and love them and to, to teach them things, you know, how to tie your shoes and how to be a good person. If I never did that, then the communication would be poor. Healthy relationships are caused by, are created by communication, and communication is uh, with God is called prayer. And we've anchored this series into two passages of scripture. One was in Hebrews chapter 4. The second is in Matthew chapter 6. And Hebrews chapter 4 talks about our privilege in prayer. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. uh, It's going to be on the screen for you. For we do not have a high priest. That's Jesus. That's the person that we're going to. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. This is the privilege that you and I have with prayer. And we talked about how God is our father. Through Jesus, we're now the, the children of God and we can go to him. We can wake him up in the middle of the night, you know, and ask for a glass of water, just like my kids do all the time, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, here, but here's your glass of water, right? That's what I do. But we can always approach God. And the, the promise here in Hebrews is that we can approach boldly. You can go to God. You don't have to be like, well, God, I don't know if you're going to listen to me today. God, I don't know if you want to talk to me today. God, I, I need to check and see what mood you're in. Because sometimes, I don't know about uh, about you, but sometimes when you're talking to other people that you're in relationship with, you got to kind of check and see what mood they're in. No, God always wants to talk to you. And so we can boldly approach with confidence this throne of grace that we may receive help and find grace in our time of need. The second passage that we anchored this series in is Matthew chapter 6, and we've just kind of walked through this because Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, pray then this way. Pray then like this. Pray, pray, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Through this series, we've looked at this line by line as a template. Our Father in heaven reminds us that through Jesus, we can approach God. Your kingdom come reminds us that God has a plan for creation. He's doing something amazing, and we get to be a part of it. Um, when we say, uh, give us this day our daily bread, we're reminded that when we seek God's kingdom first, that God will meet us, meet our needs, whatever they are. And last week we talked about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The New Testament consistently links my ability to forgive with my ability to receive forgiveness. And so if I want to go around just anger, unforgiveness, just low-grade rage all the time, uh, and, and I want to do that, then my ability to receive forgiveness, I'm actually stopping that up. I can't close myself off. I can't hate uh, people who have wronged me. Instead, I have to trust God that God will both satisfy his justice and his mercy. And that's what we talked about last week, not only for my sins, but for also for the sins that have been done against me. And that leads us to this week, and we're going to wrap up 
this series with this line in Matthew 6, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's an old Cherokee story about a grandfather and his young grandson. And the, the grandfather's trying to, you know, teach his young grandson how to live and how to be and how to act in the world. And the young grandson's like, well, I mess up a lot. I mess, I do things wrong a lot. And the, the old man, he, he, he says, well, I, I do too, but here's what's happening. And so the, the grandfather says to the boy, he says this, there's a fight going on inside of me. It's a terrible fight and it's between two wolves. One is evil, he is angry and he's envy and sorrow and regret and greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. That's one wolf that's inside of me. The other one is good. He is joy and peace and hope and love and serenity and humility and kindness and benevolence and empathy and generosity and truth and compassion and faith. The same fight that goes on inside of me, he tells his grandson, is going on inside of you. And the grandson asks his grandfather, obvious question, well, how do you know which one wins? How can you tell which one wins? If you've got one good wolf inside of you, one evil wolf, one, two things that are pulling you different ways, then how do you make sure which one wins? And the old Cherokee grandfather looked at his grandson and simply replied, it's the one that you feed the most. It's the one that you feed the most. Galatians 5 frames this idea as the desires of the flesh versus the way of the Spirit. And if you've got your Bibles today, we can open in Galatians 5, verse 16. I'll give you a couple seconds to turn there. But th- there's this idea that there's there's two things that we're dealing with when we deal with temptation, when we deal with what's going on inside of us, when we deal with our desire to want to be good, to follow God, to want to do the right things, and to to, 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 to follow the way of the Spirit, or are the things that keep messing us up and keep failing, right? How many of you guys have like a struggle, right? I remember years ago, my struggle with my kids was, was I, I had a bad temper. I had a really bad temper, and I didn't want the temper. I knew I didn't. I knew the temper was bad, but the temper would come out, right? And so we have this kind of duality. We have these two different ways of, of, of living. Of We, we want to be better. We want to follow the way of the Spirit, but then we have this other thing that we're trying to deal with. And Paul frames it in Galatians 5 as the desires of the flesh and the way of the Spirit. Let's read it. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these and things like these just add it to the list just keep adding to your list right that's quite a list of things that we know that we shouldn't be doing right we know that we shouldn't be about those things throughout christianity we have categorized sin differently some sins are worse than others some sins are and this is not this is just how a lot of christians think for example on this list you have maybe have met someone who claims to be a christian and rails against sexual immorality 
sexuality or drunkenness or orgies. Again, you should stand up for these things or against these things. They rail against these things, but the same person is filled with jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and enmity. So again, we can't categorize and say, well, well, these are, these are okay to have, but these are, you can't have these because what Paul says is that all of these are bad. All of these identify as desires of the flesh. Hypocrisy is not always secretly sinning in the same category. We've all heard the news stories about pastors who preach and, and preach about sexual purity and things like that, but yet they have an affair, right? That's hypocrisy in the same category. Hypocrisy can also be sin in a different category. If, if I look at my neighbor and they're dealing with sexual immorality, and, and, I, but the, and I see where Paul outlines four different items on this list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, orgies, those things that, 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 are, uh, that we would say are bad, you know, if, if I do that, you know, we as Christians, they, we call it out in the culture, which we should. However, we undercut our witness if we maintain areas of pride which Paul also puts on the list. Areas of pride in there are, that make up kind of the middle of the list. Idolatry, that's things that I'm serving besides God. Sorcery is when you try to manipulate things or other people for your benefit. Enmity, and you may know someone like this, enmity is the state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. How many of you guys have ever met someone who's always in a fight with somebody? Always in a fight with somebody. That's enmity. These are ways of the flesh. And what Paul is saying, he's not saying that some of these are better than others or some of these are worse than others. What he's saying is, is that pretty much any one of these items can hit any one of us, right? And so if we're fair and if we're honest and if we go to the text and we say, hey, there's, there's things that are in me that shouldn't be in me. There's, there's anger, like I said, in my case, the temper that I had that shouldn't be in me. I can identify that in myself as a desire of the flesh, as something that I need to take to God to get rid of, as a temptation, as an evil that I need to be delivered from. In the list, it just, just by the way, in the list we see four items that are sexually based and ten items that are based on pride. We cannot stand for holiness in just one area. We have to, as Christians, stand for holiness in all areas. We have to acknowledge where we fail on the list. Paul, Paul continues in Galatians 5. Uh, he says this. He says, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And some of us are like, uh-oh. Listen, there is grace, there is mercy. We can boldly approach Jesus and ask for forgiveness, right? We talked about forgiveness last week. So we can ask for forgiveness. But if we say, you know what, this is just how I'm going to be. This is just how I am. And I don't believe that God should, uh, I think God could just look over my anger um, and just just be okay with it because that's just who I am as a person. No, we can't just be okay with that. We have to say, no, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to give you all these things. And then when we act like that, if we mess up, we can boldly approach him and ask for forgiveness. But if we just want to live that way, that's when Paul says, those people who do such things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But then Paul says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. So you've taken all of that old life, all the desires of the flesh, you've killed it, you've put it aside with its passions and desires. So herein lies the two wolves. We have the way of the Spirit, and we have the desires of of the flesh. The old Cherokee's answer was, we have to feed one and, and starve the other. But is that the biblical answer? Is that the biblical answer? Yes and no. We all love stories. We all love, we all love stories. How many of you guys like movies? You like movies? How many of you guys like, um, like drama movies, right? How many of you guys saw the new Downton Abbey movie? Anybody? Did you like it? Yeah, you liked it. No, I didn't like it. But anyway, that's that's you know. But it's just you know you you get uh, you get pulled into this story. You get pulled into this thing, and they create this world. And so it could be the 1800s. It could be the early 1900s. It could be uh, the year 2050 something. You know, it could just be any time. And so you get pulled into this world. And what happens in a movie is that there's a protagonist, right? That's the main character in the story. That's the main person. That's the, the, the story that everything's about. And so this person, they, they go through something. They go through a, a hard, difficult time. But in the end, you want them to win, right? If you've ever seen the movie Toy Story, Woody, the doll Woody, is the protagonist. We want Woody to win, right? We want Woody to find Andy, and we want Woody to live happily ever after, and we want him to win. There's also the antagonist of the story, and that's the person who's actively against the person in the story. That's the person who's trying to, to ruin things and to mess things up and things like that. And so we have the, the person who we're cheering for and the enemy that we're going against. And we, we identify ourselves within the narrative. We identify ourselves either with the protagonist or hopefully not, but with the antagonist. And so we have this thing with the desires of the spirit and the, or the desires of the flesh and the, the way of the spirit. We have the, the plus side and then we have the minus side. And so those are the two things that we're dealing with. But what happens to a lot of us is when we go to the Bible, when we read the Bible, when we read the stories about the Bible and we try to put ourselves into the story and we try to identify ourselves with this, within the story, what happens for a lot of us is, is that we immediately identify with the protagonist. When you watch Cinderella, right? You identify with Cinderella. Oh yeah, why well, my mom asked me to clean my room once too. You know, like you you identify with that because you 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 can identify with it. But what happens is when we approach this book, when we approach the Bible, sometimes we say, Well, I'm this person in the story. This is who I am. You know, I'm reading about David or I'm reading about Paul or I'm reading about uh Jesus in some situations. Then I ident- I identify with that person in the story. But the idea is really in the Bible. All of this, all of, all of this book, and if this is God's book and this is God's will, then all of life itself, really the center character, the main character is not you or I. The main character is Jesus. The main character in the story is Jesus. And so what happens is, is that we can identify the antagonist. That's the enemy. That's Satan. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. You have an adversary. Your adversary, the devil, pro- prowls around, that's a hard word, prowl, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. But where we miss it today is when we put ourselves in the center of the story. Many people think that they are the protagonist, the main character of their life story. They're the main, they're the center of it, and they understand that the enemy is against them, but then they think that God is just there. God's whole function is there to help them. 
right? God will help you, but the main character of life, the main character of the story that we live is God, right? And so if I'm self-centered, if everything is about me, then things get into two categories of what is good for me and what is bad for me. But what that's not really how the Bible frames it. In Romans 8 verse 28, it says this, for we all know that, uh, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to whose purpose? My purpose? His purpose, right? So if I love God and I'm called according to his purpose, then all things work together. Does that make sense? And so I can't have my life be about me. I can't be the central character in the narrative all the time. I have to be about something greater. I have to be about what God is doing. God's purposes, not mine. The story was never meant to be about me. It was never about me. It's uh, I'm, I'm here to bring glory to God. I don't use God for my benefit. God uses me. God is the main character in the story. If I'm the main character, then I'm a slave to my perspective of what is for me and what is against me. But if God's the main character, I must trust myself to open up my, myself to his thoughts, his will, his purposes for my life. And if you want to go about life being the main character where you're the one who's deciding what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, if you want to go about life through that, then you're always going to be confused. But when we put our hope in God, when we put our trust in God, when we, when we, when we put, when we love God, when we are, are called according to His purposes, then all things work together. God is the center of the story. If I'm the center of the story and I hear a prayer that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, I may think that God could lead me into temptation because I'm the center of the story. But God is the protagonist. So what we understand is this. And when James talks about temptation, he says this in James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured or enticed by his own desire. Again, we have the desires of the flesh. We have this desire that's pulling us away. So when we're lured or enticed by our own desires, that's what draws us into temptation. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Lead us not into temptation is not a request. Rather, it is an acknowledgement that God is leading us away from evil. He is the center person of the story. He is the main character. He's our North Star. When we go to him, when we focus on him, when we focus on what he's doing, when we be, when we're about his business, not about our selfish desires, not about our way, when we focus on him, then we are led away from evil. We're led out of the evil that, that we have, not only in the world, but in our own lives. What is good and just and loving and holy and righteous in the world all comes from God. So if I want to be a part of that, if I want to be a part of love, and if I want to be a part of justice, if I want to be a part of bringing peace to the world, then it's not that I need God to get on my side. I need to get on God's side. Does that make sense? I need to get on God's side. I need to submit to God's leading. Full submission, full trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit is what draws us away from evil and towards good. 
Full trust in the Holy Spirit is what draws us away from evil and towards good. This prayer, lead us out of tem- lead, lead me not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ask God to lead us out of my own slavery to sin. Just like the Hebrew children were led out of slavery in Egypt, we're led out of our own sin and into his will for our lives. Lead me away from the evil that exists outside of me in the world, but lead me away from the evil that also exists in me. When I am the center of the story, God is just another thing for me to consume for my benefit. But when I move from that, when I move from consuming, there's there's a, another phrase that we can talk about when we talk about prayer. And the old timers, the people like way, way back in the day, they called it contending, right? So there's consuming and then there's contending, right? Consuming is, this is all about me. I'm the center of the story. I'm, I'm the one, you know, I'm, I'm here because I see where God brings benefit to me. This is all about my life, my will, my emotions, whatever I'm going through. God can be a part of it if he wants to be. If he doesn't want to be, then whatever, because it's about whatever I can consume. There, we move, when we, we have the right perspective, we move from consuming to what we used to call contending. You don't hear that word a lot anymore, right? You don't hear the word contending anymore, but what does it mean? What does that simply mean for us? When we pray, we contend. Prayer is is a contending in the spirit world. Contending simply means this, to assert a point. This is true. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus redeems. God has a will for the world. There is sin in the world. The devil's a liar. All these things we, we say, we make these points that this is true. We contend that this point is true. Contend also means to wrestle with because this is true. What does this mean for me? If I'm not the center of the story, what does that mean for me? If God's the center of the story, what does that mean? If there's evil in my life that I need to put aside, that, that, I, that I, I gotta deal with, what does that mean for me? It's not just I'm right and other people are always wrong. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for me whenever I have to go to God and, and say, God, forgive me. God, God, cleanse me. God, do, uh, help me. Uh, God, do these things. And, and so we, 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 now we can change the posture that we have towards evil. Evil is not a scary thing because God has already conquered it on the cross, right? Jesus has already conquered evil on the cross. And so whenever you mess up, whenever you fail, whenever you see sin in the world, whenever you see sin on the news, whenever you see those things, a lot of times our nature, our posture, when we hear about evil, when we're confronted with evil, is we recoil, we pull back. When people mess up a lot of times in church, whenever they they get caught in sin, a lot of times you'll see them leave church altogether. That's the last thing you need to do. Like, you need to be a part of it. You need to be, like, that's when you really need to connect. And, and for us, you know, we're, we're light in a dark world. A lot of, a lot of people, like Christians today, they complain about how dark the world is. Obviously, it's dark. You're meant to be light. Don't complain about how dark the dark is. Like, complain about it. The light's not bright enough. We gotta be light. We gotta get out there. We gotta get like, just, hey, let's go. Let's get out there. We don't recoil away from evil because we're contending. We're making a point. We're saying that this is truth and we're gonna stand on it. We're gonna follow it. And because of that, it it means something to me. Pulling away isn't contending. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's see what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Let's pair these two verses together. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not uh, of the flesh, but of divine, but have divine power to destroy strongholds what is a stronghold stronghold is is a is a evil in your own life that you don't identify it's a blind spot right that's a stronghold and so we have uh this 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 uh power inside of us because we follow Jesus we have this warfare this weapon now that we can operate in that can pull down that can destroy strongholds we destroy paul says arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey christ how many times throughout the day would you say I probably should take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Probably should take that one. That one needs to be captive. You know, like I need to make that thought obedient to Christ. When that coworker comes to your desk, you know, and you're like, oh, here we go again. You know, like when, when that, that person comes into your life, you know, and, and, and we have that, we have to take every thought that we have captive and make it obedient to Christ. We have the desires of the flesh, the way of the spirit. Every time in my own life where I see a desire of the flesh pop up, whether it is any kind of immorality or whether it's just simply something like division, I have to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Prayer is contending and the posture of our battle is from our knees. I want to wrap up this series with one of my favorite um, stories of Jesus in Mark 9. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can circle it. You can bookmark it. You can put the little flag thing that you have in your Bible there because I just just love this story because there's so much in it that just identifies with me, like identifies with who I am and where I'm at. on so many levels. And, 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 and I just, again, like when we talk about how we, we see ourselves in the story, I don't see myself as Jesus here. I don't see myself as the one that's right here. I see myself as the one that needs to grow. And so let's, let's read this in Mark chapter 9, verse 17. A man comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and it becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able to. And Jesus answered him, O faithless generation, how long must I be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, the evil spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell to the ground and began to roll, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And it often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, this is what the, 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 the dad says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion on us 
and help us. This father had done all he knew to do for his son in the natural. He'd, he'd taken him to the, 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 the best doctors of the time. He'd taken him to the disciples of Jesus. He'd done everything he knew to do in the natural. And I think sometimes for us, we try to fix spiritual problems in natural ways. And we have to know that sometimes we just need to come to Jesus. We have to come to Him and know that, that the problem that I'm having, the issue that I'm having is bigger than me. It's not learning a new system. It's not learning a new way of operating. It's not, it's not reading the next book. It's really just saying, Jesus, I need help here. I've done all I can do. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can Jesus was slightly offended by if you can. Slightly offended by if you can. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father cried, and this is where I see myself, and you may see yourself here too. I believe, help me with my unbelief. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Help me with the parts of me that are struggling with this. Help me with the parts of me that aren't quite there yet. Help me with the parts of me that, that Jesus, I'm still living like a consumer. Help me with the parts of me where, where I'm just not where I need to be. I believe, help me with my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him. And never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that many of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples, and this is where I identify too, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't I do that? God, I've, I know that people I, we've talked about in this series. I've got, you know, I've got, a, you know, grandparents that pray really, really well. I've got old pastors that pray really well. Why am I not seeing the same things that they saw? Why am I not doing the things? Why is that not happening for me? Why I'm really trying to do this here, God. Why is this not happening for me? And what Jesus said is telling, he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but Prayer is the strongest weapon in your spiritual arsenal. Prayer is the strongest thing that you have. You may think, well, it's, it's probably the next book. No. It's probably going to small. No. It's probably going to church every Sunday. No, it's not. All those things are important. We all should worship. We all should do this. But prayer, contending with God, asking God, inviting God's presence into wherever you're at, whether it be at work or at home or at church or at school, wherever you're at, inviting God's presence in. The prayer is the strongest weapon in your spiritual arsenal. So let's read it again. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. Pray then this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pray for you.